I'm Claire Edwards, and you're listening to Raw Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, you're in for a treat as I bring you a conversation about generous leadership, a conversation I had with Will Martin, founder of Waterline Leadership. Will takes us on a journey sharing relevant stories from his 34-year career as a captain in the Australian Navy and how he uses that experience to coach leaders and teams alike in the practice of generous leadership. We start by exploring what generous leadership is and how Will's experience of working under leaders of polar opposite styles shaped his own leadership philosophy. From Captain Cantankerous to Captain My Hero, I know you'll enjoy the voyage. I first heard Will Martin speak at the 2018 Anzac Day Dawn service at North Bondi. And for overseas listeners, this is Australia and New Zealand's Remembrance Day. Well, to say that there wasn't a dry eye in the house is an understatement. Literally thousands of people were reliving eight-year-old Will's experience of his first Anzac Day Dawn service with his dad. And I can even hear the emotion in my voice now. (laughs) Since then, I've heard Will speak a number of times And it was his stories of leadership in his 34-year career with the Australian Navy that prompted me to approach Will to be in conversation with me for authentic leadership. Now, usually I suggest the leadership category, but when we spoke, Will asked if he could go under the banner of the generous leader, and that wasn't a category I'd considered. And this really piqued my curiosity, and I'm thrilled to bring you today both Will's philosophy on generous leadership and his experiences and tales from the trenches, or should I say high seas, of generous leadership in action. And in the spirit of raw authenticity, I have not spoken with Will about generous leadership. I know as much as you do at the moment, so I'm really excited to explore more. So Will, welcome to Authentic Leadership. Thank you so much, Claire, and thank you for the interest and uh, for sparking uh, my further sort of thinking about uh, generous leadership as we've been um, thinking about today. So I really thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you're so very welcome. And listen, before we get into the nitty gritty of generous leadership, I think it will be helpful for our listeners just to hear um, a potted history of your naval career so we can contextualise your leadership philosophy. So, Will, over to you. Uh, okay. Well, in the deep, dark ages, 1982, I joined the Royal Australian Naval College having finished high school in Canberra. Um, I was a third-generation naval officer following my father and his father, um, wow. which always reminds, me of a, always reminds me of a song, that son of a son of a Navy man. I have no idea who wrote that, but I know the title. <laughs> So I was the son of a son of a Navy man. And in 82, uh, I started my Naval Officer and Leadership Voyage. And uh, I spent about a year at the Naval College. And then, as one expects, you head off to sea. And um, before long, I was at sea in ships, learning my trade and observing leaders and stowing away lessons, good and bad. And then over time, uh, the Navy sees something in you and... Mm -hmm. I was appointed to be the captain of a small ship, a little patrol boat in which I learnt an enormous amount about myself and self-awareness and self-knowledge and self-curiosity. And that went well and I got promoted. Then I was captain of a big ship as a commander and uh, I I used all of my self-awareness to achieve what I think and what I recall was pretty, pretty good results in that ship. And then I was captain of a Navy base in Sydney with about 600 people reporting for work every day and I did some yeah I did some time working for the big chief of navy and um, after 34 years of all that I thought um, I'd step aside make way for the younger generation because I was a bit of a blocker for people that wanted to come through I thought and Mm. um, and now I'm making my way outside fantastic okay I'm going to explore making your way outside what that is a little bit further in the podcast so gosh that's um quite a stellar career um i love that you i'm not sure how aware you are using your your naval analogies like stowing away lessons <laughs> <laughs> i love that so uh, 
that's good. Yeah, you know, you you mentioned about the concept of generous leadership, and I and this isn't this isn't a concept or a philosophy that I'm familiar with. So again, I'm just gonna sit and listen um, and hear more about what the concept is. And I'm also curious: is it something that you've been aware of from the outset or is it something that's come to you on reflection so i'm just going to shut up and listen again wow okay this is like handing over i've got it i've got the baton <laughs> um, it uh it's something that has not been with me all that long i uh, so i've been out of the navy now three years and uh with my wife we run a leadership development practice and uh, a little over a year ago, we enrolled in a business school called the Thought Leaders Business School, which helps uh, get your thoughts down and explore your thoughts and your ideas and turn them into something. Ah. And in, in so doing, getting all of my thoughts down on bits of paper in a nicely structured way, I started to find themes around the sort of leadership behaviours and values that I responded to as a junior officer. And the opposite, of course, which I responded to negatively. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm hearing concepts which I thought were kind of obvious, like the courageous leader or the respectful leader, and more recently, the kind leader. Mm -hmm. And as I started exploring a model, which I'll get to in a moment, I thought, what about generosity? I mean, generosity sums up so many things. And I think to be generous is to give unconditionally, to give away unconditionally and to not expect anything in return. Um, I think this is something parents do almost every day. They're giving a lot of love and they're giving education and they're giving guidance and they're handing over moral standards and values and they're doing mm -hmm. that unconditionally and there's some generosity in that. I don't think parents are being kind to their children. They're being generous with their children. And I think leaders could be the same. So I think, um, I, I go and see uh, some, some friends and a, I have a son who lives in England. I go to England quite a lot and I find on the roads, English drivers are very generous. So if I'm driving <laughs> along in a car in England and I get stuck at an intersection and I can't get in, someone will stop, flash me and invite me in. I will definitely now, vouch for that, Will. Yes. It, it's fantastic. And yeah. I, in my head, I say, that's not kind, that's generous because they've given up their spot. If they were being kind, they say that's a lovely car, and they'd keep driving. Like they just, they'd give me a compliment, but they're being generous by handing over their spot in the queue and letting me take it. So that's an act of generosity. So when I explore it more and more, I find three key themes, and they're around a leader being open minded, humble, and empathetic. And we can explore that more if you want, but I just find that the the driving thing, and also the um, there's a study was done at um, oh it might be Pepperdine University somewhere in the states anyway. Two guys, mm -hmm. they studied what was going on in the amygdala, that little part of the brain that looks after fight flight and makes us anxious when things aren't going well. Yeah, and they discovered that when you are doing something generous, the activity in the amygdala goes down. So being generous is good for you. Ah, being generous keeps you calm. It keeps you calm and it, it probably gives you a little hit of dopamine, um, makes you a bit more settled and you're probably therefore going to make better decisions under pressure mm. if you've got a mindset around generosity. Wow. So what would you say, if, so does, does generosity require sacrifice? A little bit, yes. Not on any grand scale. Mm-hmm but it requires you to give up something. So I was coaching a guy, uh, a senior medical practitioner. He's one of those classics who had been hands-on surgeon mm -hmm. and had been asked to now become the leader of the team, take the big office and to be responsible for the output of people in three different hospitals. And he was finding that difficult. Mm. And part of the coaching process was to interview all of his subordinates and direct reports and peers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, and in all of the feedback, everybody, there was one common thing. They all wanted different things, but there was one common thing. They wanted one thing of his and they wanted more one-on-one -on -one time with that leader. Yeah. So when I was able to present that to the leader and say, look, this is what your people want. I was able to couch it in the terms of generosity 
by saying, it looks to me like you need to be more generous with your time with mm. these people. Yeah. So the answer to the question, is there an element of sacrifice? Yes, because he's sacrificing his own output, the stuff he needs to get done, his pressures, his own diary. Mm-hmm. And by taking on a mindset of being generous with his time, he's now locking in, in periods every week uh, where he is generously giving up chunks of his diary to give his people one-on-one time. Okay. Wow. So in, in addition to time, how, how else can we help leaders to be more generous? Where else in their leadership capability do you think they can be more generous? Um, well, I think it's mostly around mindset and attitude. So I mentioned being open-minded, being humble and being empathetic. Mm-hmm. If a leader is acting and behaving with those sorts of mindsets, they will be, in my mind, according to my modelling, mm-hmm. they will become more generous. So being yeah. open-minded. Basically, if you think of someone... Well, let me tell you a Navy story about an open-minded leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so open-minded leaders are curious. They, uh, they expect that they might be wrong. They are open to the fact that other people have better ideas than them. They're very good at asking questions rather than giving advice. And they prefer to be listening in a conversation than talking. So being open-minded to all of those things. Now, mm-hmm. I was working for a guy in a ship. Uh, a long, long time ago, one of those beautiful naval cap- captains who I just learned all my, or many of my positive stories from. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there are many parts of this story which go to all parts of my model. But um, we were at sea and there's a time often when two ships have to join to carry on and do some exercises. And you generally, the senior ship picks a spot in the ocean, might be 10, 20 miles away, and the two ships then converge on it. And once they've joined up, they then start doing manoeuvres and, um, and we were going to try and help this other ship in their ability to chase and hunt submarines. Mm-hmm. And we, we were the senior ship and the other guy was the junior ship and our guy had been around a long time and the other guy hadn't been around long. So we were expecting our guy, our captain, to be a bit dominating and to take charge of the other fella. And they were both men, so I'm using male, male yeah, genders yeah. here. Um, and as these two ships were steaming towards each other and I was the navigator of our ship, I could see we were pretty much just right on a head-on sort of angle, heading straight towards each other, heading for the bit of water where we were meant to meet. And we'd given instructions for this other ship to join and come in behind us, astern of us at a certain distance. And to do that, they really should have given us a wide berth and then joined us astern. But it was pretty narrow. They weren't going to miss us by much. And it got to the point where my captain just said, let's stop now. Let's take the way off. This is getting a bit dangerous. And I expect in the other ship, exactly the same thing was happening. And then it all got a bit quiet. Both ships were stopped in the water at about, I don't know, let's say half a mile apart, which at sea is not much when you're in big ships doing 50, 60 kilometers an hour. Mm. And, mm. Um, and then my, my guy decided to send a signal to the other captain and he wanted to do it in confidence. Um, but I could overhear cause I've got good ears and I wanted to overhear. <laughs> yeah. And you're curious. <laughs> yeah, I was very curious. <laughs> So I could hear him say to his chief yeoman, the signals yeoman, look, I want to send a a one-on-one message to the other captain. And so I got close enough just to make sure I didn't miss it. And I expected something like, um, yeah, you were out of order there. I'm the senior guy. When I tell you to take station astern, I want you to come astern. Uh, You shouldn't have placed us all in danger. And I'll see you on the wharf on Friday so we can have a further conversation about it. Something like that would Mm -hmm. not have been unexpected in the the rank hierarchy that we had. But all he said was, he sent one word, which was snap, which reminded me instantly, and I'm sure the intent was to remind people of a, a card game when you're young, which is when two things match up, two twos or two threes. Yes. You yell, you yell the word snap and you thump your hand down. It basically means um, I'm thinking exactly the same as you're thinking. And then the more I unstitched that, I thought, wow, he was actually saying, I am as much to blame for this as you. Wow. Um, he was saying it takes two to tango. He was saying in, in an open-minded way, I'm happy to learn that I was at least 50% wrong, if not more. Um, in the curious, lovely, open-minded way, he displayed so much of that. And I learned 
also from the same story that a couple of the other elements of my model around humility and empathy. And um, he was being very humble and being very empathetic yeah. in that same moment, just yeah. not by sending a one word answer. It was, um, it was terrific. Wow. What a powerful story. And, 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 you know, it just reminds me of um, when, when we're learning from others, just, just observing their actions, listening to their language. Um, we, we can learn so much. So how did that then impact your leadership approach, attitude and philosophy as you moved through the ranks? And, you know, uh, at what sort of level were you when you experienced that? And then how long was it before you became that leader in the Navy? Or what, did you already have a, le have a leadership capacity? No, I was a junior leader, but I didn't have and hadn't yet had command of people. And mm -hmm. I think it's in command, certainly in the Navy, it's in command when you uh, really have to become the leader. And command at sea is quite a unique thing. Um, now the buck stops with you. You're mm. completely responsible for everybody's health, welfare and discipline. So it's a pretty special place to be. And some people just find it very difficult and, uh, and some less so. But uh, at that stage, I was a fairly junior lieutenant, two stripes. Uh, the big boss had three stripes. And I was still at the stage where I was just stowing away leadership lessons. Um, <laughs> so either side of this really super guy, I had some less desirable captains to observe, but I learned as much from them uh, in, in ways that were more emotionally powerful and had more of an impact on me. Uh, so that, such that when about five or six years later, when I was, had then been promoted and I was captain of my little patrol boat, I was able to put all of that into action with the self-belief and the self-knowledge, the self-awareness that I thought I had, uh, taking all those lessons and taking on some leadership characteristics of others, but behaving in my own way, to do it my own way in what you might call uh, in an authentic style. Yeah. Or even a raw authentic yeah. style. Or even a raw authentic <laughs> Well, I can tell you it feels pretty raw when you step on board your first ship for the first time and everybody's looking at you as though you know all the answers and, uh, and there's an expectation that you're going to look after them. Uh, sometimes there are family around. They're also looking on to make sure that you're going to look after their little son or daughter's mm. welfare and discipline and health. Um, it, it's quite onerous and uh, it, it's a big day the first time you do it. So. I would always say the only thing that prepares you for command is command. So I'm lucky that prior to being the captain of a big ship, I was captain of a little one and not everybody gets that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking back to another recent podcast and there's a bit of a link here where I was talking to someone who said that, you know, they wanted to create their culture from the outset. So they, they got together as co-founders and, reflected on what were the things that they absolutely loved in their past careers and that they were going to make sure that was part of the culture. And equally so, what were some of the things that they, they really hated, that they really disliked and make sure that that wasn't going to be a part of the culture. And I, I, I just want to pick up on what you were saying about some of the negative things, because we, you know, we know from neuroscience that we default to the negative and actually negative is stronger than positive. So maybe, mm. you know, just to share what, what, obviously without giving away any names, but yeah. what were a couple of things that you experienced that helped shape your leadership philosophy in the opposite direction? Um, well, I won't go into stories because they're, they're, they're quite long and um, there's a character I've developed uh, from all my negative experiences in, in Navy. And he's, he's based on several characters, but I, the character name is Captain Cantankerous. <laughs> I and, like that. And he's the, he, as I say, he's made up of several people. But he's the sort of leader who, um, without really knowing the impact of their behaviour and their language, uh, has an extraordinary negative emotional impact on people. Yeah. Now, the, the way that impacted me was in my 
self-belief and self-confidence. It was the way I felt belittled and disempowered. And more important for me was watching the reaction of a team under him. So I can tell you directly the impact of Captain Cantankerous's behaviour on me. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you indirectly from observing Mm. the impact on a team. And what I always saw in teams when a Captain Cantankerous was going off his nut was uh, the way people uh, lost eye contact, heads would drop, uh, good ideas would completely vanish. Yeah. Team confidence would vanish such that people wouldn't stick their hand up and take a risk to either offer a little bit of advice or to ask a question because in that environment you put your hand up, you just you get a bit of a smack. Um, and it's a dangerous place to be because often at sea people are busy and uh, an instance can be slowly building in front of the ship. Uh, there might be a yacht in front of the ship and everyone's busy and not looking at the front. And a very young, able seaman at the back of the bridge could just say one day, has anyone seen that yacht? Yeah. Now, in an environment that's built by Captain Cantankerous, no one is going to say, have you seen that yacht? Gosh, there's implications there, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. Captain Cantankerous will say, of course I've seen it, you idiot. Whereas under Captain My Hero, the generous captain, he'd have said, um, well, he could have said two things. He could have said, no, I hadn't, which is Mm open-minded. Or he could have said, yes, I had, but that's a very good call, Abel Seaman, whatever your name is. And I, I... I applaud you for telling me because, you know, we've had worse things happen and no one said a word. Um, So all this, and the other thing that disappears in a team is sense of humour and sailors at sea are funny. They take the mick out of each other ceaselessly uh, and it's a wonderful environment. Now, when that disappears for any amount of time, you know something's wrong and under Captain Cantankerous, that sort of sailor-like sense of humour would vanish. So it can be a dangerous place and it has an impact. I would think so, because there must be like a a pressure bubble building, because it's not as if when you're in the middle of an ocean, you can just get off and and go somewhere else to a different environment to calm yourself down. So, gosh, that's, uh, yeah, that must be hugely impactful. And I'm, I'm curious, Will, I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect that you would probably relish the chance to work with captains cantankeri <laughs> and help take them on a journey to move them to Captain Generous and Captain My Hero. So, um, you know, if I, if I threw you half a dozen Captain Cantankeri um, or Cantankeruses, where might you start with them? Uh, such a good question. I've always considered that the, the captain Cantankeri that I worked for had zero self-awareness. And I would suggest, I and mean, everyone's got their own definition of self-awareness, but for me, it's having an understanding of the impact of your behavior on others. Yeah. And so that means it's not having an understanding of your capabilities and limitations. It's not having an understanding of whether you're uh, future focused or analytical or people or you know, whatever your kind of, your go-to themes are, mm-hmm. for me, it's completely about having an understanding of the impact of your behavior on others. Now, Captain Cantankerous and his cantankerous mates had no idea the impact they were having on their people. Yeah. They had no idea that they were shutting down innovation, creativity, and good ideas. No idea. They had and- no idea that they were shutting down uh, a sense of humor amongst people. But also there wouldn't have been that sense of psychological safety. There would have been sort of fear, a fear of speaking up, a fear of retribution. And that, again, would have its own implications. Ah, oh, t- tremendously so. And as you said, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous place. Mm. Um, there, there can be horrible consequences. So when that's all falling apart and the team's fracturing because of bad behaviours, uh, I, would, I would start getting back to where we started this little yep. theme, I would start with doing some self-awareness work with those cantankerous people. And you can only really do that with a pretty sophisticated 360 and there are many, many of them and I'm yep. not going to propose one or other. Um, but some sort of tool that shows you how you show up relative and different 
from the way you think you show up at work every day is a terrific way to start because then you can see the delta, the gap. Yeah. And both of you can immediately see the things that need to be worked on to get from A to B. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any leader with his or her salt wants to be better, wants to improve. And step one is getting some level of self-awareness around uh, the impact of your behavior on others. And if you, if you get that firsthand from others, then uh, now what can be better than that? Yeah, along with some um, extremely diplomatic, sensitive coaching. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to, help them, uh, to help them see and understand and accept the feedback that's coming their way because, you know, the, more, the less self-aware they are, the more of a shock potentially it is to, uh, to get that feedback. But the point is that they've, they've come to you. There is a desire to be a better leader. Yes. Yes. You hope so. And I mean, there are people that aren't coachable. Uh, and in our little practice, we'll, we will make an assessment of whether someone's coachable when they need to have the discipline and the courage to be in the space at all. And mm. if they don't have that, um, they're probably not coachable. You're not going to get too far. Mm-hmm. And we also believe that coaching shouldn't be some sort of remedial process. It should be a development of some positives and some strengths into something that then completely overpowers weaknesses such such that the leadership improves off the scale absolutely wow going back to your model will i'm curious about i'm curious about humility um and i suppose you know often we have um preconceived ideas of of what it's like to be in the military or you know in a in a in a military-based operation and Mm. i'm curious as to how did humility show itself either in you know in in one of you captain my heroes or how did you develop your own attitude and attribute and characteristic of humility and what impact did that have on your people yeah well it's a very empowering trait i think um to be humble. So Captain My Hero, uh, with his one word snap response to an, an imminent collision at sea that didn't mm. happen but was avoided, um, was being, I think, very humble in the way that he was suggesting to anyone that could hear, but also to the other guy, um, that he's happy to forgive. Um, generously forgive. But so I, I see humility as being, it's a bit like Superman. I think Superman was very humble. When Superman mm-hmm. took, his, took his Superman outfit off and he's just walking around as the man, he didn't need to ever take credit for anything. Yeah. He didn't ever say, oh, that was me that saved those six people last night. It's, it's a bit of a superpower. A superhero superpower. You, you don't need kudos. You don't need acknowledgement. You don't need anyone to give you a pat on the back. When credit comes your way, you tend to then just deflect it onto the people that actually deserve it. Yeah, yeah. Yet when blame is coming in, you completely take it and say, look, I'll take that blame, thank you. Um, that belongs with me because I'm the boss. And the way that people respond to that is just extraordinary. They, they trust the leader more. Um, they respect the leader more and they're, they're therefore more likely to take a few little risks, stick their hand up. Um, it's so safe for them to uh, have a crack knowing that uh, if it goes wrong, their boss has got their back, but also they will know that if it goes horribly wrong and things go wrong, the boss is going to take them aside in private, by the way. Yes. And say something like, um, no, that didn't go very well. How are we going to do better next time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a great thing and it's a, it's a significant leadership strength. And I think it leads to the leader gaining this sort of inner confidence in this resolve, um, whilst remaining focused on the needs of the people around them. Um, Absolutely. Which is, which is why it links up so nicely with empathy and open-mindedness. So they're, mm-hmm. just, they're just a, a nice little, a nice little trio, three legs on a stool. Ah, the old three-legged stool analogy. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> it's, there. it's there again. So, um, 
just listening as you're speaking, Will, so we've already identified a lack of self-awareness. Mm. So knowing that, knowing that generous leadership, that being open-minded, humble and, and empathic is, is good for business because you're, you're building trust, um, you're building loyalty, and, and that is bound to have its um, ripple effect into engagement and productivity and profitability if you're a commercial organization. What do you think it is, Will, that stops leaders embracing that or, or going after it? Or what, mm. what, what do you think stops them? Oh, well, so many things. There are so many things. Um, so leaders, uh, so the, some of the blockers are the leader wanting to be the centre of attention. Yeah. The leader wanting the credit. The leader uh, wanting to be right. And even worse, the leader wanting to win. Mm. So, so a leader that is not generous is competing with everybody, even with the people in their team mm. and wants to beat them and wants to be the one that wins, has the final say in all conversations, makes all the decisions, directs in which direction all the communications goes, which is usually from in outwards. Mm. Um, but I, th I think the most powerful of those is, is this desire to compete and win. Now, if yeah. a leader has that, has that mindset, and is just so small-minded and narrow-minded that they just assume they're always right and they're always going to compete and they're always going to win, then uh, and that, that team just can't perform at mm. its best and will never fulfil its potential. Mm. And for an organisation that's uh, trying to make a buck, that will have an impact on competitive advantage. Absolutely no question. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking there are certain... Um certain industries in Australia coming to mind when you're talking about about that style of leadership and and um i'm just thinking there's a bit of a naval pun coming to mind here is <laughs> is how do you turn a tank around 180 degrees you know it's do you yeah you, because you mentioned earlier before some people aren't coachable but do you believe that you can turn a captain cantankerous into a captain my hero Ah. Uh. No, not, not, not in the people I observed. Mm. Uh, so the, the sort of people that I've modelled those characters on, I don't think you could turn a cantankerous into a captain, my hero, or a generous person. Mm. There's a certain selfishness of character. And, and you've just mentioned the stuff we've been seeing in the Australian marketplace in the last couple of years, which basically comes down to one word, which is people being selfish. Yes. And organisations being selfish. So we've seen a systemic organisational selfishness, which has then become the culture, which means there's an expectation that people will behave this way. Mm. So we're taking money from people who don't have that money, who may not even be alive anymore, or who shouldn't be giving up so much money. We're, we're going to selfishly take that money because it's going to make us win and compete better. Yeah. Uh, so there's a selfishness of character. Now I have no doubt that people in an organizational culture who are being selfish are probably not selfish people, but there's an expectation culturally that that's the way they are to behave yeah. to get ahead. Yeah. So to get ahead and get along, they've got to behave in a selfish manner because that's the expectation from the highest levels. Uh, now that's that's very hard to turn around within the organisation, but if you take that person out of the culture, you could probably turn that around relatively quickly, and they would be so relieved to then perhaps be in another culture where it's constructive and generous. Yes. And you put them in a generous team where the whole team has a mindset around being open-minded and humble mm -hmm. and empathetic. Yeah. And then uh, that team will kick goals, and the whole organisation will kick goals. Couldn't agree more. So, Will, yeah. when we're thinking about a generous culture, how would you recognize a generous culture? What are some of the behaviors that you're seeing or you're not seeing? What are some of the attitudes you're experiencing or you're not experiencing in a generous culture? Um, 
I immediately think of some the work I read from um, a, a New Zealander called Michael Henderson on this stuff. He, he's my role model for learning and studying culture. He's an anthropologist who then got into corporate and wrote a book that I use almost daily called Above the Line. Mm. And it's about cultures. Is that um, the plimsoll so line? Use it. <laughs> well, you could use it or the waterline. <laughs> or the waterline, which is the name of your business. Yeah, wherever you want to go with that, Claire, I'm, I'm fine. Plimsoll <laughs> line, but I prefer waterline. <laughs> Sorry, reasons. I'll stop interrupting. Uh, very good. Um, so he, he would say, and I, I observe this and have observed it for 30 years, and I'm now doing some work, in fact, with Navy around culture of ships. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, so I'm completely signed up to this thinking, which is that in cultures above the line, there's ownership and accountability and responsibility. And you can just, you see that when you're in that culture, you see people owning up to things, holding themselves and others to account, taking responsibility. Uh, and that's, that's from the leaders. And then you'll see in the workers, you'll see uh, a generosity of spirit. You'll see sense of humor. Mm. You'll see a, a sort of deafness of touch. You see eye contact. Um, you see warmth and you see people being naturally social and inclusive with each other. Yeah. Because of the leader's focus on accountability and ownership, etc. Now, be- mm-hmm. in a below-the-line culture where people are a bit stingy and there's no sense of humour and people are inward-looking rather than outward-looking, that's the culture where you see blame and denial and excuse. Yeah. And, and we see this all the time. Anybody working in a team would know that there are bad days when you see someone blaming others, yeah. making an excuse, dog ate my homework, whatever it is, <laughs> uh, and denying that it was them or just saying, oh, I didn't know that was the deadline or I, I didn't know I had to have that done by now or yeah. I didn't know I was even on that subcommittee. That's just denial, denial, blame, yeah. and excuse. Whereas... The opposite is so much more constructive. So I would, um, now I'd recommend that for, for anyone that wants to just read about corporate culture. Michael Thank Henderson's a great, a great read. Yeah, I'll put it, I'll definitely, I'll put it on the show notes at the end. So there's, there's one element of um, culture that we're seeing in 21st century leadership around permission to make mistakes, around, you know, um, fail fast, fail forwards, rather than, and, and it's sort of linked to the, to the psychological safety. And I'm thinking about in, in your own experience of, 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 of being in, in the Navy, where, you know, <laughs> were someone to make a mistake, it potentially could be catastrophic. So how do you balance that, people feeling safe enough to own up to mistakes and making sure you keep 600 people safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is, I mean, this is everybody's existence almost every day, I think, around um, failing fast, failing forward. And it's about uh, summing up the consequence of risk. It's about constantly assessing risk. Now, we as humans assess risk um, all day, every time yeah. we cross the road, we're assessing risk. Mm-hmm. And in a subconscious way, we're, we're, we're assessing the likelihood of something going wrong and then we're adding in the consequence of it going wrong. Now, if for parents, for instance, if we got that risk appetite wrong, we would never let our children drive a motor vehicle. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Or cross because the road on the their risk- own. Or, yeah. Yeah, we'd just get the risk out of whack. And we would say that the consequence of a failure is completely overpowering the likelihood of the failure and there needs to be a balance. So now if I'm in a ship at sea, let's say I'm the captain of a ship at sea, every single thing we're doing is potentially catastrophic, but we mitigate the risk as much as we can until we get the likelihood of the failure to a minimum mm-hmm. and we reduce, we reduce the the, con- the, the consequence of the failure to a lo- as low a level as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, there'll be things we do where that just stays outside of the, the boundaries and it's too risky and the captain says, no, not doing that today. We're not going to fly a helicopter off the back of the ship. 
in C state seven with 65 knots of wind. That's that, that's outside my risk appetite. Mm -hmm. But flying a helicopter off the back of a ship on any day is dangerous. And we just have to work it out. Yeah. Now the same thing happens in teams where we want to generously delegate tasks to people knowing that if they get them wrong, there's going to be a failure and a consequence, but we're going to be humble enough to say, if it goes wrong, I'll be the one that takes the blame, not yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, this remains something that I'm accountable for, even though I've delegated it to you. And the leaders know that once they've delegated something and they're helping someone grow and they're generously doing that, if they just let the person get on with that and they achieve it, the growth and the self-confidence and the empowerment in that person is just so rewarding and so makes everything Absolutely. so worthwhile. Yeah. That sense of autonomy um, and mastery yes. is, is just so important to us. It's one of our core social needs. Right. Right. There it is. So if you, uh, on the other hand, if you delegate a task to someone and then every five minutes you come along and say, Hey, going with that task, don't stuff it up. Why are you doing that? <laughs> what, I, what I would have done is this. Why didn't you do it my way? then that has the, uh, the, the opposite effect and the person then is uh, what comes out of that conversation with a lack of confidence. Oh, yes. Um, because the leader's been selfish. The, the leader has made that all about them. And, and you've just reminded me of a question that I often ask, which is um, I'll ask people, I'll say, you know, how many of you have ever been micromanaged in your career? And, and they'll put their hands up and I'll say, can you please keep your hand up if you absolutely loved it? <laughs> <laughs> and, all the, and all the hands go down. Oh, well, what, what fantastic conversation. Listen, I know. So you're, you've moved on. You've, you're three years now out of the Navy. And yes. um, I did have a little squiz around on your website and found a fabulous um, white paper called Extraordinary Teams. So obviously, in addition to developing leaders it looks like you're quite passionate about developing teams can you share a little bit about the work that you're doing and maybe the type of people that you that you want to work with yeah um so waterline leadership our leadership development practice is dual pronged we are focused on senior leaders and leaders and my wife helen does quite a bit of work using gallup strengths Oh yeah, which is which is as applicable to senior leaders or very junior people who are just uh, trying to find their way or mm -hmm. in a career change or whatever they find uh, strengths a program focused on strengths very very helpful. Uh, but we yes, so we wrote a paper on teams called Extraordinary Teams, and it's trying to highlight the reward and the the growth in competitive advantage that comes from teams that can lift themselves from just cooperating with each other to collaborating mm. with each other. And the way we do that with teams is to focus on the way they trust each other, uh, the, the way they align with their sense of purpose and their sense of meaning, and also the way they all sign up with a sense of commitment and a strong sort of one in all in team commitment. So by getting a team to not just accept that cooperation is good enough, but, but to say to each other, look, we need to be collaborating, which is like we need to, instead of just dividing up the problem and fixing it, we need to actually redefine the problem, redefine the solution, work together on that, yeah. own the outcome, own the success together, um, work together on what the problem actually means for us, what, the, what it means for the organisation, just redefine it uh, by collaborating through trust, purpose and commitment we think a team can uh, probably improve its output by 10% very quickly. And that's the work we're doing. And we're a bit focused on defense industry at the moment, just based mm -hmm. on my background. That's logical. Trying, mm. trying to target um, defense industry companies, most of which are based in Canberra, but they, all, they are all over the country. And uh, now we've, we've got a warm network in there. So we're just trying to connect with them at the moment. And mm -hmm. See if we can do some team coaching or some leader coaching, or um, I can do the occasional keynote, which I love to do as well at various leadership conferences or industry conferences. Excellent. And, you know, and, and, and thinking about it, if you just replace the word ship with organization or business, everything that you have shared is 100% applicable to 
a commercial, a not-for-profit, a public sector. It's all about the attitudes, the attributes, the mindset of mm. a generous leader because generous leaders will grow generous and extraordinary teams. Yeah, yeah, and, and generous individuals. Yeah, they will. Um, I mean, I think it's a, something of a no-brainer and I, I think that um, corporate world... Um, any part of our society, maybe even, I mean, there's a Royal Commission into um, dis disability services, et cetera, at the moment. We've seen a yeah. lot of horrible selfish, yeah. selfish behaviour in that space as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can just imagine that generous leaders will instantly produce generous teams and maybe a generous culture over time. Well, long, long may your generous leadership um, reign last in this area because it's much, <laughs> much needed. Hey, and I've heard a rumor that some, at some stage over the next 12 months, you're going to be publishing a book. Have you, have you got a oh. working title or a proper title or do you want me to edit this out of the podcast? Because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Right, so I've, I've committed to a bunch of people uh, and myself and to my wife that by November uh, there'll, there'll be a book out called The Future of Leadership is Generosity. Excellent. Uh, and I think it is about the future and I think we've got to think about future generations and what they need of mm -hmm. us uh, as leaders. Um, I think it applies to parents, it applies to teachers, it applies to captains of ships and captains of industry. Yeah. And uh, I, I commit... It'll all be about my model, but there'll be a lot of Navy in it, obviously. Um, there'll oh, be a lot of story. Your storytelling is superb, Will. I have to share. Every time Thank I've seen you. you speak, I just hang off every word of your stories. And I'm not being <laughs> sycophantic. <laughs> That's very kind. It's very kind. And there'll be, there'll be lots of stuff from some of the most generous leaders you and I have ever seen, like Jacinda mm. Ardern, Nelson Mandela, um, Barack Obama. These are very generous people. We don't look up to those leaders because they're just super leaders they have a generosity of spirit and a generosity of leadership that makes them fantastic. And I'm, there'll be a lot of them in this book, a lot of Navy Great. and a lot of story. Can you bring it forward from November? <laughs> no. <laughs> can, I, can I pre-order? You just, <laughs> actually, you just reminded me about something Nelson Mandela said about um, two different types of leadership that you can be a Pied Piper leader where you're playing your flute and you've got everyone behind you and, you're hoping that they're going to follow you, but you're not even looking back. Or you can choose mm. to be the shepherd where you are at the back and your arms are open wide and you're gathering your sheep to, you know, to, to, to shape them in the direction that, uh, that you want them to go in. Yeah. Well, Will, we're nearly, we're nearly at the top of the hour. So I, finally, I just want to ask you, what's, what's a, a, a key message or a couple of key messages around generous leadership that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, I'd leave them with uh, something that I generally open a coaching conversation around when I'm on the subject of generous leadership. And I, I just say to coaching subjects, um, what's one thing you could do today or tomorrow that you could unconditionally give generously to your people of yourself? Mm. Um, what's the one thing? Now, we'll generally get to time or presence, but I think if anyone just thinks, um, often this something like generous leadership will seem too hard and too big, but if you just think of one thing that you could be more generous tomorrow yeah. with your people or with your children or with your spouse or with the guy that fixes your car, whatever it is, um, there'll be something you can do tomorrow that displays generosity of spirit. And it's, as I say, it's not about being kind. It's about giving, just giving a little bit, yeah. uh, unconditionally giving, yeah. and everyone can do something. And I think that, you know, finding that one thing often results in a, a domino effect, a ripple effect, because it's the one thing that people want from you. You say, you know, time or presence, and then other things will fall into place as a result yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if we've got time, but I'm quickly reminded of, there's a thing called Ramban's Ladder. Uh, it's, a, it's a relatively recent... That rings a bell, yes. Yeah. No, please share, so, share. A woman called Julie Salomon 
studied a, a, a Hebrew philosopher from the year 900 and something. I, I think his name was Maimonides or Maimonides, something like that. But it's an eight-step ladder of charity. Now, it starts at the bottom with begrudgingly giving something to someone who knows who it's coming from. And the next step might be a willingly giving something to someone who knows where it's coming from. And they, it just steps up and up and up. But the top layer of Ramban's ladder is the gift of self-reliance. Oh, wow. Now, it's the only step that doesn't involve giving something material. It's that you're giving something immaterial. You're giving them the gift of self-reliance. And this makes me think for leaders giving through delegation and yes. good supervision, they're giving the gift of self-reliance, which is what we're doing with our children. We're, yeah. we're growing them into fully formed adults and we're giving them the gift of self-reliance. That, wow, um, Ramban's ladder. I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up and I'll put that on the on the show notes as well. Because I yeah, suppose. Julie, sorry, go on. Yeah, Julie Salomon was, was the woman that's written the most recent book on it. Great, thank you. And I suppose that you know the the ultimate accolade for a generous leader would be to make themselves redundant. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. And oh, Will, I have so enjoyed our conversation. Um, I can't believe how quickly the time has gone as well. I know. Uh, are you happy for people to connect with you on LinkedIn? If I put your, um, your LinkedIn details on the show notes. Absolutely delighted. Yes, of course. Excellent. Perfect. And I'll put your website, Waterline Leadership. Uh, is yes, there please. anything else before we say goodbye and uh, goodbye and sail off into the sunset? <laughs> Sorry, <I'm, laughs> no. I can't help it. <laughs> I tell people to keep looking out the front window so we don't run into a yacht. Um, it's, it's no good looking in our wake the whole time. We've got to look out the front. Wow. You've just two extremely powerful messages right at the end of uh, our conversation. Yeah. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. And, Great um, pleasure, Claire. And good luck with the book. And if you want to bring it forward, I'd be more than happy. <laughs> You're first on the list. <laughs> I'll proofread it. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Claire. Thanks, Will. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.